Welcome to the Brain Health Podcast, where we discuss cutting-edge science to help you maximize your brain function while aiming to slow, stop, and even reverse symptoms of cognitive decline. I'm your host, Dr. Jonah Yakel. Hello and welcome to today's show. I am Dr. Jonah Yakel, and we are going to be talking all things inflammation today. It seems to be all the hype. What is it? What does it do? What, what is the purpose of inflammation? And of course, how does this play into brain health and how do we manage inflammation? And if, if I've learned anything in my 15 years of practice, and I believe I've said this before, but when I get started with new clients, it's generally, look, if we accomplish two tasks in our work together, if that's all we do is accomplish these two tasks, it is going to absolutely transform your health. It's going to transform your life. It's going to restore your brain function. It's going to get your life back. And if that is just balancing blood sugar and mastering and managing inflammation, if those are the only two things we do and the only focus that we have when it comes to health, that is all it takes in order for, for people to really achieve a higher level and a higher state of health. And of course, thankfully, those things go well hand in hand because by, by, by addressing one of these things, you're automatically gonna have a huge influence on the other one. So, so let's talk a little bit about inflammation. And of course, you know, how in the world does this impact our brain to top it off? Well, we know that inflammation is a huge part of the aging process. We know that it plays a role in degeneration. And in fact, I would go so far to say that inflammation has a very bad rap, but you know, there's a reason that it has the rap that it has, but it's, it's got a bad rap, generally speaking, uh, because we're all trying to get rid of it. It's like, it, it's like a bad word. It's like that you, nobody wants to have any inflammation. And, you know, rightfully so. We know that chronic inflammation, as I said, it speeds up the aging process. It drives inflammation or degeneration, and it has an enormous impact on brain health uh, because a brain that's inflamed is going to degenerate. And it's one of the primary known paths that can drive us into cognitive decline, dementia, and even Alzheimer's. And just, you know, a little review on that. It's like the, the major root cause drivers of cognitive decline. It's going to be inflammation. It's going to be blood sugar. It's going to be low hormone status, environmental toxins and exposure to, to heavy metals. And of course, mold and lime can be a driver of cognitive decline. Head injuries can, can, can drive it as well. And of course, circulation. So any of those can play a huge role in the degeneration of our of our brain and therefore leading to cognitive decline and dementia and alzheimer's so that's what this podcast is all about is like how do we get to the root cause and how do we address these these drivers or the these causes once we know what the root cause is how do we make change so speaking more to inflammation specifically well you know inflammation is a funny thing because now one we actually have found that there is a huge correlation between specific genes and Alzheimer's. And if you haven't heard by now, the, the big one that they oftentimes has the biggest correlation is known as the APOE 
ApoE4 gene. So if we have an ApoE4 gene, we are much more highly likely to end up with Alzheimer's. And in fact, you know, we can get one of these genes from one parent, we can get a second copy of this gene from another parent. And, you know, people who do not have the gene, they have like a less than a 10% likelihood of Alzheimer's. Those people who have an ApoE4 gene are going to be roughly around 30% or so, but people who have two copies, people who have two genes, one from each parent of the ApoE4, have a greater than 50% likelihood of getting Alzheimer's, which means they're more likely to get Alzheimer's than they are to not get Alzheimer's. So whether we have this gene, this is important to know. This, this is part of our functional lab testing. We have to find out, do we need to be aware of the ApoE4? Now, a lot of people get very concerned when it comes to looking at, at, at genes, because we know statistically speaking that by having these genes, you're more likely to have the outcomes. But we also know that genes don't work how we were essentially taught that they work. Just because we have the gene doesn't mean you ha- are going to have the outcome. And I mean, that's where the percentages come in. By having these genes doesn't give you 100% likelihood of having uh, Alzheimer's. It just increases your likelihood. But what is not considered in this factor is what are the lifestyles of these people? And what about the 30%? What, what about the people who have two ApoE4 genes, uh, that 30% or the, even up to 50% who don't end up with Alzheimer's, like what are they doing different? Well, what they're doing is they're managing inflammation, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. So, so this gene initially, so, so let's get into to inflammation just in general, because like I said, it's, it's, it's very villainized, but, but inflammation is not positive or negative. And in fact, you could argue that it was part of our evolution as a means, actually, it served a positive role in our early evolution because what happened is this gene people who had it and gosh I, I you know a couple hundred thousand years ago i think we go back that far people who had this apoe4 gene in fact our entire species had it initially and it's slowly been washed out over time to where it's actually more common to not have it at this point as it is to actually have the apoe4 gene but initially what it did is those higher rates of inflammation serve served a protective as a protective mechanism. So, you know, if we were were out hunting and we were to get injured or were to get cut, you know, that you know, you know, back then it was obviously clearly predates things like antibiotics, but the likelihood of infection, that was the number one cause of death for our species up until about a hundred years ago. And inflammation plays a huge role at managing or reducing the likelihood of getting an infection. So having genes that resulted in a greater inflammatory response to injuries and traumas and accidents and things of that nature actually increased our chances of survival. Now, what happened though, is that we never really got to see the other end of that spectrum because the lifespan of our ancestors was so much shorter. So they didn't live long enough to experience maybe the negative side effects of that gene, which would be chronic high levels of inflammation leading to things like 
Alzheimer's and dementia. But of course, inflammation has been implicated in just about every single disease process, especially in the Western world. So, you know, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, strokes, um, even things like arthritis and gastritis, so digestive disorders, uh, diabetes, cancers, like all of these have big links or correlations with inflammation. And in fact, we tend to recognize these as like inflammation being at the root cause of these things. So when we talk about cardiovascular disease, we know it's all about managing inflammation. However, inflammation in and of itself is not bad. Inflammation is actually part of the healing process. Our bodies are brilliant. They're miraculous. Our bodies were designed to heal and repair themselves. And inflammation plays an enormous role in that healing and repairing. So, I mean, a simple example of this would be, you know, if we stepped outside and stepped off the curb and we, we twisted our ankle, well, immediately what's going to happen is we're going to develop what's called acute inflammation. So we can think of it in terms of two types. We've got an acute form, which means it's an immediate form and oftentimes short-lived. And then we've got a chronic version of inflammation, which is going to be much longer, longer lasting. Of course, the acute is oftentimes at a much higher level. And then the chronic is at a low level, but it, it sustains, it's persistent. So we, we sprain our ankle and, you know, the inflammation is going to do a lot of things that are important to the healing process. Now, the first thing it's going to do is it's going to create swelling. So the ankle swells up. Well, purpose of this is it actually is stabilizing and protecting the joint just like a cast would do so you know our body has been doing this for tens of thousands of years it's, it's very well aware that you know an injured area needs protection so that ankle is going to swell up it's going to create a cast like and it's just going to protect it another thing that inflammation does is inflammation actually signals to the brain pain so because of the presence of inflammation, we can actually feel the pain in our ankle. Now, again, a lot of people might think of this as, as not necessarily being a good thing, especially in our westernized world of modern medicine, where it's all about managing pain, like pain is bad, make it go away. But really what pain is, is it's just your body signaling to the brain that we've got a problem here. So the, the inflammation is helping to communicate to your brain that we have an injured ankle. Now, this is important because we need to know to get off it in order to actually heal, let our ankle heal and repair. We've got to get off the ankle. So we have to give it some rest, some relaxation and get off it long enough for it to heal and repair. So this is the body's feedback signals letting us know hey, you need to take a break. You need to go easy. And th this would be true oftentimes of any signals of pain. That is our body telling us something we're doing is not working for us. So one, inflammation is going to, to protect the area. Um, two, as, as we'd mentioned earlier, it's got antibacterial um, property, so it helps fight off infection. Three, it triggers to the brain that there is pain signaling uh, that you need to stop walking on it and you need to get, you know, get, get sat down and, you know, sit down and rest and recover. And then the fourth thing that inflammation does is it actually due to its polarity is it draws in the nutrients and the antioxidants that are needed and required to heal and repair the tissue. So essentially, 
without inflammation, our, our body would not be able to heal and repair itself. So it is an essential component to the healing process, which makes to some degree, you know, our, our constant attempts to suppress inflammation is really an attempt to suppress symptoms, which in the long run slows down the healing process, which goes against what any functional medicine doctor is going to do. Again, chiropractors, naturopaths, anybody who's taking a holistic approach, the goal is not to simply shut down the symptoms, but the goal is to ultimately get to the root cause and promote the healing of the tissue so that the symptoms will automatically resolve. Now, the problem with inflammation, so acute inflammation, good, is part of the healing process. Now, what chronic inflammation, chronic inflammation is a little bit different because what that suggests to us is that the tissue that is damaged or being damaged is not healing. And therefore, we're consistently having to maintain that inflammation in, in an attempt to heal and repair. So if the, if the tissues are chronically being damaged or, and, and they're being damaged faster than our body can heal them, well, that is going to result in chronic inflammation. So I think of chronic inflammation as more or less a chronic healing deficit, like our body is behind on healing and repairing and it simply can't catch up. It is not able to repair the, the, the tissue as fast as the tissue is in fact being damaged. So now we develop chronic inflammation. And at this point, this is where the research and the studies show that this chronic inflammation is associated with increased uh, the acceleration of aging. It's associated with uh, the degeneration process. So it accelerates degeneration. And I, I don't know that the mechanism is entirely clear. It's like, well, is the chronic inflammation causing that? Or is the acceleration, is it happening because the body can't heal and repair these tissues? So they just keep getting worse and worse and worse over time. So essentially the goal therefore is not so much to just, you know, take an aspirin and shut down the inflammation, which is, you know, what an aspirin does, but we want to get to the root cause. Instead of just shutting off our body's inflammatory process, what we really want to do is we want to get to that root cause and actually support the healing and the repair of the tissue that's being damaged. So inflammation in, in, in its essence is not necessarily a bad thing. Like it's part of the healing process. We have to recognize the miracle of the body and the wisdom of the body that it recognizes that tissue is damaged and that it needs to heal. Where the problem usually actually occurs is on our end. <laughs> it's not our body's problem. It's usually our end because we're usually making choices in our life that are resulting in higher levels of inflammation that therefore are chronically damaging our body cells and tissues. And that is ultimately what gets us in the, in the position of having high levels of inflammation. So, you know, when, when we think about some of the root causes, it's like, all right, well, let's get to the root cause of inflammation. So sounds like I'm at fault. It's not like my body's just creating inflammation for fun. It's the, it is a result of things that I'm doing in my life. And some of the things that have been associated with inflammation are going to be um, high levels of chronic stress, 
over time has been correlated with higher levels of inflammation. And on that note, even mental emotional traumas, we, we've found through studies that people who have experienced higher levels of trauma, especially in childhood, are more likely to develop inflammatory conditions such as autoimmune diseases later in life. So there seems to be a huge link between stress and inflammation. Having a you know, diet, of course, food can play a huge role in a couple of different ways. One, in balanced blood sugar. So a high carb diet is going to be highly inflammatory. And we get these fluctuations, these constant ups and downs of blood sugar that is going to initiate high dosage or a release of insulin into our body that over time leads to more chronic inflammation. On another note, food sensitivity. So eating foods that we've developed a sensitivity to is also going to increase inflammation. And just as a bottom line, anybody who's trying to heal and repair their body, especially if they're trying to focus on healing and repairing their brain, this would be an area to just start cutting out foods that we know are inflammatory, processed foods, refined foods, high carb foods, high starches. Most grains are going to be inflammatory to the gut and therefore are, are inflammatory to the brain and the rest of the body. So diet is, is one of the major like access points into our ability to manage and control and master inflammation. And in fact, I have found that the majority of the people that I work with, if we get this right, if we can get people on a clean, low carb lifestyle, inflammation levels just plummet. And that doesn't even require at that point, oftentimes things like supplementation and, and various other things. So, so starting with diet is oftentimes the most profound way to get the, the, the biggest changes uh, right away. So I'd mentioned the food sensitivities, not getting enough antioxidants in the foods that we're eating. So again, having foods that are low in nutritional content is going to play a role. Circulation, having poor circulation is also going to trigger higher levels of inflammation. Autoimmune diseases ultimately can be at a root cause of inflammation, but something has to be at the root cause of the autoimmune condition. And that is almost always gut related and almost always therefore food related. Another thing that most doctors are overlooking consistently when it comes to chronic inflammation levels is chronic stealth infections such as Epstein-Barr, like viral infections that are just ongoing, bacterial infections that are maybe not being picked up on lab, on labs. However, they'll, they're still just kind of cooking away underneath the surface, causing these inflammatory changes in our body. And I mean, you know, chronic Lyme is a good example. That is a bacterial stealth infection. As I mentioned, Epstein-Barr uh, shingles can oftentimes be a trigger. Any kind of uh, you know mold. I don't know that it would necessarily fit under infection, but it but it is a biotoxin that can trigger an inflammatory response. So parasites, imbalance in the gut, in the bacteria in the gut, can cause inflammation. And and when our gut gets inflamed, well, you know, as future podcasts are going to share, like when our gut gets inflamed, our brain gets more inflamed. So a big part of brain health is actually associated with with gut health um you know drugs and alcohol 
are going to be uh, very inflammatory, toxins, toxins, heavy metals, pollution, the air we breathe. I mean, there's just so many. I, I think the, the reality here is that our current way of life is is such a such a way that it, it just results in a very inflammatory sp- response in our body like it doesn't work for our body the air we breathe the things we drink the foods we eat like the high stress lifestyles these are not all that honoring for our body and the result is chronic uh, cr- chronic inflammation and you know again this can impact us you know th- this shows up it's at the root cause of cardiovascular disease digestive problems hormone dysregulation, allergies, asthma, cancer. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Even we're now even learning that things like anxiety and depression are driven from neuroinflammation. So our goal, of course, is brain health. Like, well, how do we get our brain healthy? Well, we have to learn how to manage the inflammation. Now, when we run a functional blood panel, we look at very specific markers like C-reactive protein. There's, there's different markers we can look at to evaluate what are the levels of inflammation that somebody's dealing with. So we know it's like, is this our root cause? Is this an area that we need to focus on if we're going to heal and repair the brain? So bottom line, inflammation it is a huge player when it comes to brain health as you know it's a huge player when it comes to health across the board so again whether we're talking about our cardiovascular system or our digestive system or our hormones or our our brain like inflammation if you learn how to manage inflammation it will absolutely change your health outcomes and on a side note Oftentimes people find out they've got this APOE4 gene, or maybe they've got two of them, and it puts them into a little bit of a a side spin because again, it so much increases the likelihood of having Alzheimer's. But the honest truth is of all the different root causes, this one also just so happens to be the easiest to manage just by addressing diet. And then of course, there are a few supplements that can be incredibly helpful that I use in my practice all the time. High dose, high quality omega-3s might be one of the best things that we can do. And then when you couple that with things like high doses of turmeric or resveratrol, um, magnesium, uh, something called albuterate, which is a short chain fatty acid, which actually is part of gut health, which has been associated with brain health. Any of those supplements in combination with being on a low carb, maybe a paleo whole 30 ketogenic diet, all of those uh, in combination can have a dramatic impact on your inflammation levels and support brain health, whether again, whether we're, we're trying to prevent or slow down or stop or even reverse symptoms of cognitive decline, if we can get inflammation under control, we have a great shot at actually reversing those symptoms. Thanks for listening to the Brain Health Podcast. If you'd like more cutting edge information on brain health, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, or simply head over to my website, thebrainhealthdoctor.com. If you love the show and want to support us, please leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.